We're live, single stream. Welcome to the green room where we're trying to figure out why someone would spend so much money to buy a supply chain. Just kidding. We are actually going to be talking about some fun stuff today, and we're going to do a reverse order intro of our guests. So we'll start with Catherine. We'll go to Chuck, and of course, we'll go to Alan. So Catherine, where are you calling in from, and what are we talking about today? Hi, yeah, I'm calling in from Utah, and um, today we're going to talk about diversity. We're going to talk about SaaS software um, and tech. Cool, sassy diversity and tech. All right, awesome. Chuck, on your end. Hey guys, uh, Chuck Anapati here, calling in from Los Altos, California, and I'm excited to talk about uh, return to the office, if you can believe it. Woohoo! All right, let's celebrate that. Awesome. And Alan, where are you calling in from? What are we, we talking about today? I'm in Half Moon Bay, California, and uh, talk a little about innovation, some culture, and uh, getting uh, getting the Ritz ready for the return of the of your event here uh, later this year or next year. Nice. Constellation Connected Enterprise, October 25th through 28th. Hopefully, we see people there. So that's awesome. Well, hey, we're gonna do the honors, L, all yours, and then of course Val's gonna do the introduction. And for those watching, thanks so much to Robots and Pencils, our sponsor for this uh, show. So. Off to you, Al. All right, three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research, he is the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business and breaking news only a few months from now, his new book, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, which I need a copy, Ray, ASAP. <laughs> Ray is a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal, and Cheddar. He's also a global sought after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWAMG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot, Vala. Vala's my awesome co-host. He's the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence, and more importantly, executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational and insightful tweets. But when he's not hosting, he's keynoting or leading events at Salesforce and other venues. You can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg, and of course, posting insightful analyses on ZDNet, and of course, after this show. But it's not about us. It's about our awesome guests, and who do we have to kick it off today, Vala? Ray, it's our privilege. Our first guest is Alan Bohm, Chief Technology Officer at H&M Group. Alan is, uh, Alan is the Chief Technology Officer at H&M, where he's responsible for strengthening the company's innovation and digitalization efforts and enhancing the shopping experience for H&M Group's global family of brands and businesses. Alan is an experienced digital transformation leader with nearly 30 years of experience innovating enterprise architecture, IT strategy, and cloud technologies. Prior to HMM Group, Alan served as Global CTO, VP in IT Services, and VP of IT Innovation at Procter & Gamble, and previously held numerous senior leadership positions in information and innovation at Coca-Cola, including his role as Global CTO. Alan serves as a member of the Board of Directors for the Cloud Security Alliance. In addition, he's a corporate advisor to several enterprise cloud and AI companies. Welcome, Alan, to Disrupt TV. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, the invitation. Look forward to the conversation. Thank you, sir. You know, when I think innovation, I think Alan Bame. I always think Alan Bame. I've, he's been one of our BT150 winners. He's always been at the edge of disruption. And you've worked at some amazing companies. How do you build and replicate that innovation culture from place to place? Because these are all very different companies you've been at, from Coke to P&G to now H&M. Well, you know, you know, I think the end of the day is being a, sort of grown up my business career, partially here in the Valley, partially in Los Angeles, but but most of the time in the Valley, you know, you, you go back to a uh, Entrepreneur Magazine article was written, I think, in 2013, and you just apply it to work. You know, and that article talked about the five unwritten rules of the Valley. And most corporations around the world, most people that don't live in the Valley don't understand it. You know, I think mm -hmm. that the five that they quoted at the time was, Trust and be trustworthy. Seek, you know, seek fairness, not advantage. Pay it forward. Open doors and listen, and experiment and iterate together. And this is so counterculture to so many large corporations on a global basis that if you just try it and you adopt it, you will see 
tremendous changes. And the most important thing is, is the listening. Spend time with the entrepreneurs at the train stations, at the, at the coffee shops. Just listen, talk and listen, and you're going to learn so much that you can apply. You'll never know what you can't do to change your business. What amazing set of attributes, especially given the last, you know, 15, 16 months, uh, you know, the, 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 the demonstrating empathy and fairness, having a beginner's mindset, being able to make strong pivots. I mean, in a light switch, the world and including the retail industry went to a decentralized digital only environment. Can you talk to us about your, your experiences, personal experiences? leading a large organization with this once in a lifetime event that has impacted all of us, that being the pandemic. I think, you know, what it is, is it's creativity. You know, you gotta be creative through this thing. And, and sometimes the best way to understand this is, is, you know, I joined a company in the middle of the pandemic that's 7,000 kilometers away based in, in Stockholm, Sweden, which means I have to be creative. I have to be willing to be flexible. And I work nights, I work weekends, but, but, it's just part of, the, of trying to fit in. But you also have to find new ways to communicate and do things to help people. Some of the people that I was talking to hadn't been outside in some, uh, in some countries, they were locked in. So I happened to be, have a, a house in Half Moon Bay and a house down in, in Pacific Grove. I'm fortunate to have that. And I was able to take video and show video of the seals birthing, of the birds and things for people that were locked in in landlocked areas of the world to share those experiences, just wow. to think differently. I needed to be able to get people to understand and, and think about how is shopping going to change? How is the retail experience going to change? And certainly I have my opinion, you have your opinion, but I wanted to look at the next generation shoppers. I had a friend's seven-year-old daughter put together a video for me and she talked about how she saw shopping changing in the future from her as it's coming out of the pandemic. And it was just amazing the response that you get to see a little seven-year-old talking about how she's going to use Zoom because Zoom is what she uses for school. So you have to think creative and think different and bring all this together into the corporations that are stuck in one way of working and expand the mindsets. And that's where you go from there. Wow. Amazing. It's amazing. It's not TikTok. It's Zoom. It's the things that are in front of you. It could be like any other piece of software. People are getting really creative with what they do. And uh, we're seeing these shifts happen in terms of how people react. Um, now, one of the other things that, you know, retailers are under a lot of pressure, though, right? Uh, in this pandemic, um, there's a lot of innovation. There's also this issue around sustainability. Um, that's been an issue I think your CEO and your uh, board really care about as one of the top issues. How are you guys helping with that? Because I've seen the boxes in H&M where you can recycle clothes, but there's a lot more behind this uh, that's in the background. Well, you know, one of the reasons I joined H&M was because of the, the commitment and the, and the principles and the values of the company. And that, that's what attracted me. Now, this last year, you know, we launched the Loot Machine, which takes fabric, recycles it, and creates new clothing out of it. And that's sitting in Stockholm, Sweden today. And I think you just have to open up your mind as to what the possibilities are in the future. Now, at the same time, I think that when you look at the challenges of retail, we also have to remember, don't look at it just from a U.S. perspective. Even though we were locked down in California, boy, were we really locked down. We got to admit that. Other parts of the country, other parts of the world stayed open. And what we've seen is when things open up, there is a resurgence. People want to go back out shopping, not just for shopping, but it's they want the experience. They want to socialize. It becomes part of their lifestyle is what they want to do. So I actually believe there's a pent up demand for people to get back out. And we're going to see that pick up again. We're still seeing the the advantages of online shopping, but Omni is going to replace everything. And that fully integrated lifestyle experience is what's gonna be important going forward. And that's what we're striving for at H&M. Yeah. And that's what we're building to. I totally agree with you. As someone who hasn't left his house since last February, I am, I am, uh, I am looking forward to, uh, uh, to you know, getting back to semi-normal in the very near future. I just got my second shot. So, uh, you know, hopefully on the right path. Uh, but also mindful that there's other countries, other regions that are going through devastating uh, numbers as we speak. So, you know, it's, 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 uh, it really depends on geography and policies and, you know, where you are today in terms of how quickly we can get back to, uh, you know, uh, what, we, it's, what we experienced pre-pandemic. Now, your role as CTO, clearly driving the vision and innovation roadmap, 
how has the role of innovation uh, and, and digital uh, sh shifted in the past year? We've had experts on the show that claim, you know, humanity has experienced or the pandemic has been an accelerant of perhaps a decade in terms of culture and digital transformation. Culture meaning flexibility to work from anywhere and digital, as you mentioned, e-commerce has had, you know, explosive growth in the last year. Uh, where do you see these shifts and what are some of these shifts that are going to be permanent in terms of, you know, uh, the buying behavior we can anticipate in a new normal? Well, I think other than people uh, starting to buy uh, pants and things again when they were just buying shirts because all you ever saw them on. Don't tell anyone. I don't you have know? pants on. I, have uh, I, I think that the uh, I think the reality now, I think I think the reality of this <laughs> is that you know, this is evolving. You know, and again, I'm going to look on with an international perspective. There's a lot of cultures that are very much in-person cultures and, and, and you meet and there's a lot that goes on in uh, over a coffee, over a drink, over lunch. There's things that go on and playing in basketball courts, whatever it might be. Um, but I, I think we're seeing people still yearning for that. And, and you know, we've, we've seen an explosive growth in video games and, and e-gaming mm -hmm. coming up. That's coming up part of our culture. I think we're redefining our culture. I think that the, the kids that are in school today that have been, been stuck at home for a year are redefining how they're going to be shopping and the experiences that we're going to have. We have to start anticipating these things. We have to start understanding things are actually going to speed up more and more. Trends are going to develop faster when it comes to fashion. Trends are going to develop faster when it comes to all kinds of retail. And now we have to get our infrastructure, we have to get our technology in place so that we can move quickly and we can anticipate not just a digital world, but what's going to be changing in the physical world as well. Absolutely. Yeah, no, those are definitely great points. And what we are seeing, you know, in that mix is really the shift, right? The shift in terms of how we actually grow and, and build these features uh, and build, you know, incorporate our social trends into what we do with our technology trends into our buying habits. Do you think people like only going to get fit once, right? You get fit once and then everything gets shipped to your house digitally. Like, you know, you get the scan. Not the way you and I eat. <laughs> Not the way you and I eat, well, exactly. Right? But, but, but do you see trends like that emerging? Does that change the way you guys think about like, you know, what is a retail store or what happens when you, you know, when, when people buy online and then never ever come into a store again and the store is just like a place to hang out? Like, do those things factor in terms of like that thought process? Well, I think it all comes into, you know, in fact, in certain parts of the world, in certain stores, we've tried opening up coffee bars before hmm. and with, with interesting successes and, and maybe not so interesting successes. We've looked at moving garments from store to store as opposed to using them almost as mini warehouses and, what, and things, not what they were intended to. Again, I think it gets to flexibility and agility here is trumping everything. We have to be able to meet our customers where they are, and we certainly are doing that, but our customers or locations are moving. We have pop-up stores. Sometimes that's the right solution. So I think the traditional way of retailing has changed forever. We've done a lot of partnerships with amazing uh, designers, amazing uh, companies. Those will continue. Partnering is going to become more and more important in the future. But I think we're going to have to be really flexible. Trends are going to be developed not by season. They're going to be developed by events and moments. And you have to be there when that, that moment occurs or be able to react to that moment immediately. The application of artificial intelligence and ML in order to be get better at predicting these things that are happening is going to be important, as well as the use of that technology to drive the trends and to drive these things in the future. And that's where we're going to get to very quickly. Hypothetically, and not putting words in your mouth. So it's like we're going to get Dogecoin t-shirts at H&M next April 20th, right? <laughs> I mean, those types of events are going to pop up. Great, great. Well, I think we're going to anticipate them and we'll be there to trade on them first. So we'll see what happens. There'll be like an NFT from like H&M. We get to bring up a fake crypto in our conversation. I shouldn't say fake. I mean, a lot of people are making a lot of money on It's a fun one. It's a fun meme. It's a meme sourced crypto. The market cap is about 30 billion plus, so I can't make fun of it anymore. At least not publicly. So, so what you said was really profound. Uh, you know, you said that it's it's uh, identifying moments of truth, and and so uh, I I I interpret it as creating value at the speed of need, uh, stakeholder need, customer need, and those needs could be defined by a particular moment. Now, in order to do that, you have to have super optimized supply chain, back office, front office. You have to have ability to uh, understand and interpret signals 
and convert those signals as races to, to decision velocity that allows you to, again, create what your customers need. How much of your investment thesis is focused on, I would say, back office, supply chain optimization, ecosystem enablement versus, uh, you know, the customer front office touch points of, of H&M? Well, I, I can't even put a percentage on it because I think at the end of the day, this is connected. You know, this yeah. is talking about a, a fully integrated offering is what you have to go to the market with. It's it's not as if you just produce a good and you can turn it over to a third party to sell. You know, we we sell what we manufacture, we sell what we design. And I think that's one of the, the advantages that we have. Signals are gonna become more and more important. The timing of those are gonna become important. But the good news is the technology is shifting from 5G to even you know, Apple putting LiDAR on their phone in the, yeah. in the last release. All these things are pointing in the right direction to take advantage of these things. Now, can a company be creative and innovative enough to anticipate how you're going to use those technologies? That's where I come in. And that's what I've done from company to company. And that's why you have to break out of this box, not look at IT in a traditional sense. We have an organization we call Business Tech, which is the combination of business and technology. We are all part of the business. We have to listen, we have to learn, we have to anticipate, but we also have to become evangelists. I, I remember years ago when Cisco had evangelists going around when the internet came around. Apple had their evangelists that were going out there. Now what happens is technology organizations have to become evangelists. They have to evangelize both inside, but they have to be so connected to the customers. They have to understand and get and be out there. One time when I was Coca-Cola, one of the former execs told me, I was there about a month, and he said, what have you been doing this last month? I said, I've been going around and talking to people. And he says, he says, well, who have you talked to? And I gave him a list of people. And he says, you haven't learned anything. He said, and he says, let me tell you one rule about running a corporation. No money is actually ever made in a corporate office. He says, wow. get out and talk to, get out, ride with the salespeople, work with the merchandisers, go into the factories. He says, once you understand all of that, he says, then you're gonna be able to make real change because you're gonna understand where things are going. So I spent the, the first few months of the year visiting visiting stores while they were open, visiting warehouses and trying out things there because that's the only way that you know. So I that's think this shift is coming, but you have to open yourself up to new ways to absorb information. Colin, that is great, great advice. I, I received similar advice and uh, it, it's until you visit customers and, and see your customers' customers, you really have to live on the edge. Um, we always hear put customers at the center of your business. I've never had a customer ask to come to be center of my business. Mm -hmm. uh, the opportunities to innovate is always at the edge of your customer's business so you can see how they delight their customers. I totally, that it's great, great advice. Uh, but I have a follow-up question. A lot of industries look at retail to determine their vision and roadmap because they believe that your sector is not a laggard but a sector that's always looking to innovate, always looking to differentiate. Advice to retail technology executives, what other industries should they be looking at? You mentioned media, for example. You mentioned, you know, uh, Ray mentioned TikTok, you mentioned Zoom. I think, I believe every company is a media company because at some point in the journey, you need to deliver some content to increase awareness and engagement. So are, they, are there industries that you look at closely um, or technologies uh, that, that, that uh, other um, retail executives should put on their radar? Well, you know, I think I'm fortunate. I've worked across financial services, mm. logistics, airlines, hospitality, uh, fast-moving consumer goods. I mean, you, you name it. I, I think I've been in almost every... You, know, you are across industry. industry that there is. And, and the, the thing is, you know what? There is no difference technologically. That's what people don't understand. There are lessons to be learned that you can pick up from anything everywhere because ideas don't stop at borders of corporations or borders of the world. You have to get out there and try things and learn things and just accept new things. They're not always gonna work. Follow the valley, find a mistake, pivot quickly, fail forward fast. All the things that we take for granted here in the Silicon Valley are new and are ignored by corporations around the world. Even corporations in the center of our, our country do not have that same momentum that we get here in the Valley. So we can learn, and I think if you're a retail tech company and you're trying to sell in, don't simply say, I know your business. Some of the greatest disruptions have occurred by people that don't know their business. If you look at Lyft and Uber, college kids trying to get home. 
started a business. If you look at the space industry, software engineer, Elon Musk takes on, takes on the traditional people and transforms everything into let's have reusable rockets. You start looking at these things, you have to look different. One of the people that works for me pointed out to me the other day and it was, it, we were talking about, he says, you know, he says, we have, you know, 5,500 stores and each one of the 5,500 stores we pay me play music. That makes us the largest chain of radio stations in the world. Yes. So wow. look at things differently. Because if you look at it traditionally, you lock yourself in a box and you get stuck in incremental improvement. And we're at a time where giant leaps have to occur. And we're talking about dramatic change and opportunities for disruption. And well, that's where we are today. Well said. This is Alan. how well you inspire other people to innovate. Real quick, we only got a couple seconds here. So how do we get tech budgets up? People, people up their budgets in the middle of the pandemic. How do we keep this level of sustained innovation going forward? Uh, what are people doing? Well, I, mean, I think it's, you know, it, it's safe to reinvest if you're in a large corporation. You're going to find savings in areas you're going to reinvest to the future. But because the market's changing and because patterns are changing, the opportunity to make new business cases and, and create business cases based on tangible as well as intangible assets that are available to you just, uh, just explode. So you have to think different. It's not about the old ROI and NPV, not the traditional approaches. Open your mind and sell. Every technology person in a corporation has to be a salesperson and has to be a storyteller. And if you're not, go get training because that combined with being a, a, a stand-up comedian that can respond to, uh, and I'm serious about it. You're talking about people that can do improv but you're, you're dancing around and you're doing what you can. You have to improvise, tell a story and sell and close. Then you're going to be successful. I there love the it. advice about evangelists. Um, I, I agree with you hundred <laughs> percent. There you have it. Alan Bame, cross industry expert, innovation person, and now a chief technology officer at H&M Group. You can follow him on Twitter at B-O-E-H-M-E-A-L-A-N. Hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. See you around. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. That was really great advice. A lot of sound bites in that 20 minutes. Really, really great advice. Um, speaking of great advice and an exceptional CEO, our next guest is Chuck Ganapathy, CEO of Tact AI. He's founder and CEO of Tact, uh, a human-friendly CRM company. Tact AI puts sellers first in human-friendly CRM solutions that are frictionless, omnichannel, and perspective. Backed by Excel Partners, Redpoint Ventures, Upfront Ventures, Amazon, Comcast, Microsoft, Salesforce, a company that I know, <laughs> Tact AI represents the next generation of CRM, turning multiple systems of record into unified systems of engagement. In fact, Tact was recognized by CB Insights as an AI 100 company, Gartner mm -hmm. Cool Vendor and Top Tech Innovator, G2 Leader, and I know Constellation Re uh, uh, Innovation uh, Leader as well. Previously, Chuck was Senior Vice President of Products at Salesforce, where he led some of the largest product development efforts in the company's history, including our flagship sales, our flagship, the company's flagship sales cloud, chatter, and mobile products. You can follow uh, Chuck on Twitter at Chuck, G-A-N-A-P-A-T-H-I. Welcome, Chuck, to Disrupt TV. Hey, voila. Hey, Ray. Great to see you, you guys again. Good to see you. Wait, let's let's talk about this working from home, return to work. Remember Nicholas Bloom, our Stanford economics professor in 2014. He's like, hey, people are going to be working from home forever, right? What's going on? Or is, is the productivity gains there or is that a pitfall? Well, I don't know about you. I'm ready to get back to the office. I'm, uh, I love my kids. I love my house. But after having spent the last 13 months uh, cooped up How in much this do you room in this house. <laughs> you know, depends on the day, right? Uh, so it turns out our school district opened full time as of this week. So I'm a new oh. man this week. I'm, I'm starting to wear pants now, uh, Ray. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, and, and I did get my second shot, Vala, like you did three mm -hmm. weeks ago. So I'm good to go. Uh, and I'm ready to get back to the office. But but all joking aside, it's it's a, it's a tricky topic right now, and I say that partly because, you know, some of us in California are rejoicing. Uh, we're we're vaccinated. San Francisco's vaccination rates high. People are starting to get back, and life is starting to return to some semblance of normalcy. 
but I look back to my colleagues and my own family back in India, uh, it's oh, no. not good, yeah. right? It is terrible uh, what's happening right now. We have a good number of our employees who are based out of Bangalore and other parts of India. We have a good number of users of our product who, who are based in India, and of course, our families, like my family, uh, 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 back back home as well. And and um, it, this is not over. So it's you know one could say this is a little premature to be talking about what's life going to look like once we return to the office. But it's obviously a topic that's uh, on a lot of CEOs' minds, a lot of HR leaders' minds, uh, and and so. I've been following this closely, <clears throat> not just for my own sanity personally, but also for the sanity of our of our uh, employees. So that the the report you talked about was one of the best pieces on this topic that I've read. It's awesome. Uh, I love this guy Nicholas Bloom. I I, I I I wish I had known this earlier, but I got to know it through through this research study that was recently published. But what I you know clearly productivity is up. Everybody will tell you that. I'm sure a lot of guests you've had in the past will tell you that. We've figured out how to make last year work. It was a tough year for all of us. We were fortunate as a company that we grew significantly quite a bit, thanks to some of the pandemic-driven digital transformation that you talked about, Vala. But we did it by letting people, are, you know, allowing them and giving them, setting them up for success so they can work from home. And yeah, productivity increased. And, and if you look at this report that uh, Nicholas Plum talks about, productivity in increased. But I don't think that's the whole story. There's more to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like you said, you know, pre-pandemic, obviously, the world demonstrated that you can work and be productive in offices. The last 14 months, we've demonstrated to society and ourselves. We've had so many CEOs that said they didn't believe at the beginning of the pandemic that they could be productive. They could sell. They could engage customers remote, digital only only to find that they had the best quarter, the best fiscal year, the best performance in their company's history, including my company. Uh, so, so we've proven that you can be in office, we've proven you can be completely digital. And I think now the proving point is trying to find a healthy balance where we are continue to be mindful of mental health and, and the fact that there's a need for sense of belonging and gathering and collaborating. But at the same time, like you said, there are regions right now that are on fire. Uh, as much as we appreciate the fact that both you and I have had our second shot, and my company just announced 22 offices that are open and yeah. we're gradually opening many, many more offices throughout this calendar year, I have to tell you, in certain geographies, that's absolutely not uh, reality right now. So as you think about being a CEO of a company, the top person, <laughs> uh, what? how do you uh, get your team ready in terms of what the future of working with customers may look like, where it may very well be a hybrid. Your customers may choose to stay remote, digital only. Some actually want to come and have you know, meetings in person. And, and so there is this hybrid future that you have to get your company ready for. Absolutely. Uh, you know, obviously, like most other companies, uh, our sales motion became entirely Zoom and Microsoft Teams, right? Uh, pick your poison of choice. and. Uh, we were successful in doing that, but we all know that we did it out of necessity. Now, the, the beautiful thing about the pandemic, uh, the silver lining, if you want to call it that, is that it took away a lot of the stigma and um, uh, uh, mythology around, oh, if you're working from home, you're really a slacker, right? You're not, you're really working, like with double quotes, you remember those days, I'm working from home, right? <laughs> and that was a stigma that's been around even in tech companies for as long as I've been in tech. And, working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, I think it's unfair uh, for a lot of people, people like myself. I have four young children in elementary school. And so I'm very involved in my children's uh, uh, child care. And, and, you know, sometimes I can't make it to the office. And the expectation that you have to be there nine to five uh, for parents, for women, for dads, uh, for, for people who have health issues that can't be there, uh, I, I think that stigma is gone. Right. So that's the silver lining. Now, uh, the the out of necessity, obviously, we were we pushed ourselves. We we made this remote thing work, and we all made it through the year. Uh, and hopefully, in the coming months, we will all make it to a point where we can actually be a bit more social than we are, and maybe even get back to the office. So, the feedback that I've gotten from our employees is that they love the flexibility, and that the stigma is now gone. We've always, as a company, we've always been very open to working from home, working from anywhere. 
because that's sort of our motto as a company. That's what we sell to our customers, sell from anywhere. So you ought to be able to work from anywhere. But the reality is we're at the end of the day, social animals, we're humans. And we need that human connection. And we need to be back in the office so that we can collaborate, not because we want to be there nine to five, yeah. uh, uh, but we have to be able to collaborate. We have to build those relationships that are important for you to succeed at work. And most importantly, serendipity. Yeah. A lot of things happen when you're in the office. That's a serendipitous meetings, hallway conversations that, boy, you're going to have a very difficult time trying to emulate in a Zoom call or even in Slack uh, or, or some asynchronous messaging systems that people use. So all these things lead me to believe that we will have to find a happy medium. And if you look at, uh, there was a study that McKinsey did towards the end of last year, uh, and, and they surveyed B2B. Now, Alan previously talked about B2C and how that's changing, you know, how retailers work with customers. And he said the word, everything's going to be omni, mm. right? I think that's, that's fantastic. And I think the same thing's going to happen in B2B, right? Is you have to be, you can't be just a road warrior anymore. You have to be an omnichannel warrior or a digital warrior if you if you want to uh, uh, think of it as such. But the idea that people need the space to collaborate, come together, whether you're an engineer or a marketer or a salesperson, uh, is I think is is key. And and that's how you know people discover these you know skills that people are, you can't just measure an employee by the their output, right? And you can do it for a while, but but pretty soon as you start to scale, you have to understand the person as a whole. Their EQ is as important as their IQ. So so when it comes to promotions, how is that going to affect people? So for example, this this uh, report that Nicholas Bloom and his and his crew at Stanford did, they looked at Trip.com, and this is pre-pandemic, yes. So the world has changed a little bit, but but I think the lessons are still applicable, right? They said there was a 13% increase in productivity of the people that were remote versus the people that were in the office. But only the, the, the promotion rate was half of the people that were in remote, mm. right? Wow. People getting promoted at work, half of the people that were in the office. So yeah. FaceTime is important. Yeah. That's how other people get to know who you are, think about you as a whole person and see how they can help you grow in the organization. So out of sight, out of mind, you hear that, right? It, it's not that's not change we're still the same humans we still have the same flaws so uh, or the needs uh, of, of being social animals so i think the the hybrid model the mckinsey report that said 78 percent of salespeople think about salespeople right they're the most social in organization and they're they're de- uh, the, the survey that they did with with large b2b uh, companies said 78 percent of their customer engagement is going to be hybrid wow wow, wow. I mean, look, I, we're all dying to get to the next event or have those kind of interactions. Yeah. And, you know, that serendipity you talk about is something missing right now. I mean, you can't do that on a Zoom call. You can't talk to someone passing through the hallway or having that conversation. Yeah. Uh, what are you hearing about mentoring, too? I mean, you've got a lot of folks that started their first job, never in the office, never <laughs> really met anyone out there. I mean, are they going to stick it out? Are they going to, are they going to, you know, are they, do have an opportunity to ever learn? I mean, to you know, build the relationships and the connections needed to succeed in the industry. I mean, do you see that coming back as well? Absolutely. I, you know, think about onboarding new employees. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, 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 a nephew of mine recently started uh, as a software engineer after finishing his master's degree at uh, Amazon Web Services. And obviously, you know, Amazon's not going to open. They're, they're going to go back to the office, uh, just like Microsoft and, and Google. They're going to go back to the office in June, July, August timeframe. But yeah. now he's trying to onboard into this team that's a highly technical team uh, working on some of the core services on AWS, all remote. And he's hating it. He, he wow. just he can't stand it. He's like, how am I going to learn yeah. uh, in order to get onboarded? Uh, another uh, a friend of mine who works at Stanford Hospital runs the finance department. She's been hiring a lot of new people as Stanford is growing. And the way she has handled this is, right, what she does is she blocks off certain amounts of time mm-hmm. as office hours with, the, with her new employees, right? No agenda. It's just a block of time. You put nice. it on there and you say, nice. you know what? We're just going to spend some time with you. So ask me anything, right? Just ask me anything. Come in. If you have nothing to talk about, we'll just have a glass of wine or a cup of coffee uh, and then shoot the breeze. But those kinds of uh, meetings, those kinds of very deliberate uh, scheduled time with 
younger employees, people that need mentoring, I think it's going to be important. Uh, and, and but again, uh, you can do some of it remotely. You can do some of it through through face to face. But you've got to find a way to find the balance. So we're never going back. Let's be clear. We're never going back to five days, nine to five. I think those days are over. Except, of course, if you work in a bank or work at sure. retail, sure, you need to be there. But talking about everybody else, we're not required sort of to be in a in a store, some kind of situation. We're not going back to the nine to five. At the same time, are we going back to this like magical world of like everybody works from Hawaii, uh, you know, or Costa Rica, and we just meet once a once a year? I don't think that's going to happen either, right? So that's going to be this 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 middle ground that we yeah, have. I thought find. I thought you created the next big startup that was going to do that. I was I was in. I was like, <laughs> join you right now. I I, 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 I so, sign me up too. Sign I was me so up too. HQ is in Maui. I'm sorry, I, I was missing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, no, no. But you know, this, no, uh, this, I, I totally understand. I totally yeah. agree with you. Um, what, in the first segment, we talked about retail as an industry, and uh, you know, when I think about uh, you know, uh, some of the biggest impact by sector, by industry, life sciences fields and teams experience massive transition uh, to the, you know, the restricted access to healthcare professionals. So in this new normal, uh, you know, limited in-person appointments and need for more digital omni-channel engagements that you mentioned, can you talk a little bit about how TACT AI is working with the life science, medicine, pharma industry to position themselves so that they can delight their stakeholders in this new normal. Yeah, you know, we've been lucky that we've worked with some of the companies that have been at the forefront of the pandemic. So Honeywell was one of our large customers and guess what? They've been incredible at yeah. pivoting to, to ramping up their uh, PPE manufacturing. You know, they're one of the largest manufacturers of masks in the world uh, and, and protective equipment, protective gear for healthcare workers. Uh, Novartis, another uh, company that's been at the forefront of the fight against COVID and other other uh, 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 you know uh, medicines and therapies that that are that are coming out, the pharma life sciences industry more than any other industry is really at the center of it. Not just because they are helping us fight the this 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 really deadly virus, mm. but it's also because it is causing them a, a disruption that they have not seen in decades, mm. right? So if you look at the typical pharma company, and I'm sure you've seen this the last time, I don't know when was the last time you had a, um, uh, a doctor's appointment. Uh, while you're waiting at the, uh, at the at the office for your appointment, you'll see these pharma reps, you know, dressed very nicely <laughs> with, a, with an iPad and a, and a bag, ready to pounce as soon as the patient comes out, ready to pounce before you, they're gonna make you wait, but they wanna get in there, get their five minutes with the doctor and then, bolt and go to the next one right you've seen the you can see in this this community of uh, of, of salespeople and sellers um pharmaceutical reps is more uh, the, the right uh, the word they don't really sell uh, but that is primarily how pharmaceutical companies engage customers in the past and they spend hundreds of billions of dollars in this so a, a stat that many companies don't many many folks don't realize is Pharmaceutical companies spend more money on commercializing a drug than on inventing the drug, significantly more, right? So, uh, you know, hundred, you know, the top pharma companies are spending 150, 160 billion dollars per year in marketing and selling these drugs per year, right? So, tremendous amount of money, and most of that marketing happens through there's a couple of million people around the world across all these pharma companies who are hitting the pay, pounding the pavement going into every doctor's office, every hospital, trying to make sure that the doctor has the latest information about the efficacy of their drug, the clinical sure. trials, how to find the right patient and so on. Sure. It's very important work, right? For all of us, we all benefit from that because pharma companies really care about patients and their, and their outcomes. The problem is last year meant that the one place you could not go, <laughs> sure, you couldn't go to your Starbucks, but the one place you couldn't enter last year was the hospital, unless you had COVID. Yeah. Even uh, you know non-emergency non surgeries were being postponed. So I think their world has changed fundamentally because of this. And our technology has really helped them kind of say like, how do we go from this old way of just face-to-face -to, -face to this new omnichannel way of, yes, face-to-face -face is important, being in the office with the doctor, with the customer is important, but also engage them asynchronously. The way we engage our families with WhatsApp or WeChat, right, right. that is a new element that I think is going to fundamentally change how pharma companies engage customers. I agree. All right, real quick. How's the startup scene in the Valley today? 
is it there? Is it enterprisey? Has everything moved to Seattle and Austin? Like, you know, what are we going to hear about? We're going to hear about Salt Lake City soon later in the next episode, but you know, next <laughs> section, like, wh- where is it? Where is it happening? Like, does it still feel like the Valley did like in the nineties and two thousands or are we, are we losing that out here? Um, I worry uh, that we're losing it. I worry that the days of um, eating cold pizza and drinking warm beer in someone's garage and inventing the next big thing are mostly gone. Um, And part of it is I think tech is in big tech is in some ways destroying small tech, startup tech, because if you're going to pay, uh, 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 you know, computer science graduates, uh, you know, money, you know, hundreds and thousands of dollars uh, in some cases, you know, ridiculous amounts of money uh, to to come and work and fix bugs at Google. Um, you know, it's very difficult to get people to come out and take these kinds of risks. So I think it's affecting the risk tolerance of people just because so much money is being thrown at uh, young young professionals who would be these startup founders. At the same time, the hunger has moved to other places. So Bangalore, for example. You know, I go to Bangalore. We have a big office in Bangalore. I go there uh, at least twice or three times a week when there's no pandemic, uh, excuse me, a, a year uh, when there's no pandemic, but um, uh, the, I, I see the spark. The spark that I saw when I first moved to the Valley in 1997, yeah. I see in Bangalore. And I worry that with the exodus that's happening in Silicon Valley, plus the money that's being thrown at people who would be founders, uh, so they're not starting the companies, I think they are. So there is some cause for worry. Wow. Yeah, I know. We see it in Tel Aviv. We see it in Shanghai. We see it in other places where people really want to go build the next uh, startup. Definitely there. Chuck Ganapati, visionary entrepreneur, visionary Salesforce exec, and of course, enterprise software uh, star, CEO at TAC AI. You can follow him on Twitter at Chuck Ganapati. And more importantly, thank you so much for being on the show. And we do have to connect since you're in my backyard. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Chuck. Take care. Thanks for being on the show. See you in the green room. He's a brilliant uh, developer and entrepreneur. So, um, you know, it's it's, it's great advice in terms of getting ready for the new normal. And hopefully that'll be a hybrid uh, construct where we can see people. And and that stat about only 50% of remote being promoted, you know, that's that's an eye-opening. Our our next guest is uh, Catherine Wong, Chief Product Officer, Executive Vice President of Engineering at Domo. Uh, Catherine brings extensive technology engineering management experience to Domo's seasoned leadership team. She joined Domo from Adobe and Omniture, where she started more than 15 years ago as a software engineer. Uh, Catherine started when she was 10. Uh, During her (laughs) tenure, Catherine ascended through the ranks, uh, taking on increased and variety of responsibilities with key roles in product management, M&A, product integration, technology architecture, engineering management, and leading global teams of more than 500 people. Uh, Catherine's also an original member of the advisory board for the Women Tech Council and served on the advisory board for the College of Engineering at U- University of Utah. She's been recognized for leadership and champion uh, championship contributions with the Women Tech Council. You can follow Catherine on Twitter at Catherine Wong, C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, W-O-N-G. Welcome, Catherine, to Disrupt TV. Thank you for having me, guys. Great to see you. Great to see you. <laughs> We're excited to have you. And, you know, I, I have to harken back to the days where I'm sitting at Snowbird watching Josh James do some crazy stuff. <laughs> and there you are running around as a young product manager. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, those were the days, right? Back in the Omniture, classic days. And it's 2013. Someone gives you a call, says, you know, Errors coming in as the chief scientist, and you say yes. I mean, there's nothing there at the time. You decided to join, and you know, Brett shows up, and like you're like, fine, I'll go join him. Tell us the story, how you got started, and and you know, and why why you decided to jump in at Domo. Those were the early days. Those were before anything was out there. I mean, we we're talking about powerpoints and slides. I mean, it was pretty exciting at that point. Yeah, the shift to Domo um, at that time, like you said, they were in stealth mode. Um, And so there wasn't a lot of understanding of what they were tackling. And I knew that I wanted to do one more startup. And as I looked at what they were doing, it just really was compelling to me because, um, you know, this is the problem we're familiar with, right? There's tons of data. We talked about big data forever. Um, And really the question is, how do you 
inspire action on that data, right? Mm -hmm. How do we leverage it? And how do we actually get value out of it? Um, and so that's what Domo's mission was. I loved the approach that Josh was taking in typical Josh fashion, as you said. Um, he really asked the question, what's the end state? What do I want to be able to do with the data? I want to be able to look on my phone on my phone, excuse me, and understand what is going on. What are my numbers? Um, it feels like this should be possible. I can know what my neighbor had for breakfast this morning based on social media. I didn't even want to know that, but they can tell me that. And so, right, being able to run our businesses from our phones, being able to answer the questions we want, um, you know, that's really Domo's mission and, and inspire that data-driven decisioning that we all know you know, we've talked about forever. Um, it's there, it's possible, um, but there was just some friction to get to that. And so it's been a blast to be here at Domo um, with the team. The team's incredibly talented, passionate, hungry. Um, and so it's been fun. That's awesome. Well, we have a lot of uh, folks uh, in the startup space that watched the show. We had many founders of startups on, on the show. And all of these companies are trying to do what you've done multiple times. Uh, they they want to build and scale their platforms which you did at Omniture, Adobe, and now Domo, and they want to build a product roadmap that delivers new features and innovations, you know, at unprecedented speed. So can you share, what advice, what, what have you learned with those experiences at these companies that have accomplished what many startups are trying to accomplish now? Yeah, I, I mean, I could talk for hours on this, but I'll keep it short. <laughs> I think um, when it comes to growing at scale and speed, the way that um, a lot of times this is asked about, I always encourage us to think about the, the different vectors, right? So there's scale and speed when it comes to the, the actual data that you're usually dealing with. There's um, scale and speed and de delivery of product, like you mentioned on the roadmap, right? How are we growing that way? Customer base is another vector. How are we adding the customers? Um, at what rate, what pacing, right? What are they doing? And then oftentimes these smaller companies, when you're in a smaller company, you're growing your team. You're mm -hmm. building a culture, right? And you're trying to scale that and make sure that um, that's becoming what you want it to be intentionally. And um, I think looking at these vectors is really important. Um, when it comes to uh, scale and particularly with customers, one of the things that I advise the up and coming technology leaders is to embrace the customers that scare you. There are always those customers that are exceptionally bright. They're pushing the boundaries of your product. You know how to fulfill the, the scale um, that they're asking for eventually, but it might be sooner than you're ready or it's, you know, they're taking you on that journey faster. Um, and I would say embrace them. Bring them in closer. Uh, we've done that repeatedly. I've learned so much by doing that. Um, at Domo, we were talking with a top retailer. They saw the vision, they got it, and they wanted to push us faster than I had anticipated um, that we would be going. And it was profoundly important because by bringing them close, having them on the customer advisory board, really understanding what they were trying to do, what was the strategy, we were able to accommodate that. And that, of course, um, enables additional customer growth and your product is growing in a very purpose-driven uh, purpose way. So I think, you know, that's one thing that I often advise is don't hide from them, actually embrace them. Um, I think, yeah. oh, go ahead. No, I was gonna say that's a great answer because you, you mentioned, you know, there's, the, there's the, the, the company vector, you know, the size of how, how, how fast you're scaling your company, the install base vector, your customers, right. your roadmap vector, and then how much you can consume in terms of data that leads to understanding and improved decision velocity. Which one of those vectors do you spend the most of your time or is what, what vector is most important if you have to prioritize? Maybe this is asking about your favorite child and it's hard to yes. answer, but, but uh, is there one of those four vectors where you know a chief product officer should spend more of her time to ensure company success? The hard answer is it's a pretty close tie um, across all of those. You really, I don't think you can neglect any of them. Yeah. And so it's a pretty close tie. That being said, I do think as the chief product officer, um, certainly you're going to really make sure that you don't miss the signal on the customer growth factor and as well on your organization. Because, you know, in my background is engineering. Um, and oftentimes we're talking about the technical problems and, and the challenges and how do we resolve that? And that's really fun. Um, but my experience over the years has shown me that usually um, the difference maker is the people, right? And as trite as that might sound, it's very, very true. And I believe it. Um, I have a passion around 
really emphasizing the importance of the culture you have in your organization, as well as really connecting with your customers. The more that I can connect our product engineers, designers, and product managers with the customer, it just is such a game changer. And we saw that during the pandemic even, right? There were, we all had to rally together. We were all facing, um, you know, these really difficult situations. And so not only were we using the product to help, for example, track shipments of COVID tests um, to make sure they were getting out, but at a very human level, that was meaningful. That was meaningful work um, to our team to know that we could help in that way and we could um, really facilitate that, some, that for the greater good. Um, and I just think that is invaluable. You cannot, um, you know, you can't, I don't think, achieve amazing success if you don't have that human connection um, and the value on your people. Well said, well said, I agree. No, great point, right? Um, let's talk a little bit about working from home. You've been uh, kind of vocal about that, talking about how you cope, how you, you know, make it work. Uh, we were just talking about how hard it was with different teams, right? Especially in products and getting that spark of innovation. How do you find that balance between work, life, getting the product teams inspired, creating those sparking moments of innovation? How do you put all that together? Yeah, I know. Mean, I think this is something we've all kind of gone through, right? And um, really grappled with. Um, working from home as you guys covered you know previously on this show with uh, chuck and it it's been something that i think we've all adapted our skills to and i think that's key um as a mom i've got four kids and um you know trying to balance um schooling and um you know their needs as well has been important um i think one of the things we've done that has meant a lot is we adapted some in-person practices to the digital world so it used to be that every week I would roll this big kind of trophy around um, to recognize someone who really went above and beyond and I would fire a confetti cannon. It was just, I don't know, it's a fun thing. That's, that's, that's kind awesome. of, um, yeah, it's, it's really great. But when we went to work from home, right? I can't roll, I'm not gonna roll a confetti cannon around. Um, but, <laughs> although it sounds fun, uh, what we did though is we converted it to a digital experience, right? So there's a Zoom, everyone joins, um, you know, there's a themed background. We would say what the theme is uh, before uh, the uh, the trophy awarding and, and really still find a way to recognize that person, right? Read the write-up and um, have everyone applaud. And um, I think you have to get creative and uh, come up with ways to adapt what used to happen right into our new world. And as we return and things open, guess what? I think we get to do that again. We get to adapt yet again and figure out what's the right balance. That's awesome. I, I think your four kids would love the cannon at home, but that's just me. I know my three kids would love it. Uh, and I would get in trouble with the missus. Uh, uh, so, so you served as an original member of an advisory board for women in technology. Yeah. And um, I, I, I'm interested in your point of view in terms of, has the pandemic helped shed a greater visibility and light in terms of the need for companies to uh, be more active in terms of sponsorships and mentorships and allyship to, to uh, create opportunities for more women like yourself, exceptionally bright, accomplished women, to take on more senior roles, more roles in, as executives, as board members, as individuals that are guiding companies' direction, has the pandemic helped, hurt, or mostly unchanged? What, what is your what is your point of view and advice you have for other company executives in terms of what they can do to improve the current state? Yeah, I think the you know the pandemic has. Um, been challenging for uh, women in the workforce. You hear about it, right? Described as the female recession. Um, there were there were increased burdens um, with it, and we all, you know, felt that. Sure. Um, but with women in particular, we definitely saw that it was more. Ch it was challenging for them. They were expressing, you know, I think in September of 2021, out of four um, that were surveyed, said, "We, I'm considering leaving the workforce, right? Wow. Because it's wow. just so much work." And yeah. and so, what I think that has done, though, to your point, is raised the visibility of us as leaders to say we have to fight harder. We have to work harder and ask, how do I make this better for you? How can I make this such that you don't feel like the only answer is I have to go? Um, you know, because I think 
what we all really believe is that diversity um, of perspective and experience creates a better product, a better experience in the organization, you know, better commercial success. And we want those voices. We desperately do. Um, so I think there's a lot of work to be done. To be honest, you know, I think we have to ask the question. We have to listen. Um, it was one of the most powerful experiences in my career when um, my manager at one point actually asked me the question. It wasn't just an HR survey. It wasn't, you know, kind of a general, um, you know, sourcing. He asked me point blank, what would make this better for you at work? And no one had ever asked me that. And it, it hadn't occurred to me um, that there was something so powerful in um, someone looking me in the eyes and asking that. And, you know, I, I came up with a few things and, and we changed it and it, and it, it became um, even better than it already was. And so that would be my encouragement is to ask the question. And if you don't or if you haven't asked it in a while, now's a great time, right, to say we're in a different world. What can we do? What a simple and yet profound uh, experience based on a just a simple question. Again, simple but profound. What what can I do to make it better for you? I mean, that's um, yeah, it's uh, that, that's amazing advice. Um, I always say collaboration is hard, but it starts with four words. What do you think? <laughs> and, Love and, it. Yes. You know, and and when it comes to uh, being deliberate, if you read a stat that says one in four are considering leaving. If you're not right. deliberate about understanding your current state of mind of your teammates, you're, you're, you're likely susceptible to losing 25% of your talent. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's just, just uh, it's unacceptable. Yeah, that's yeah. So great advice. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. Great advice. All right. Hey, we often don't get to talk to folks about what the startup environments are. That's why I've been asking about it. You're in Silicon Slopes. Um, yeah. you, know, you know, the first set of unicorns were like Novell, Arteris, Landesk, WordPerfect, and even Omniture. And now we're in the second wave, which is like Domo. You know, you got Pluralsight, you got Vivint, you've got all these other companies popping up, you know, Qualtrics, right? So some yeah. amazing stuff happening uh, in Silicon Slopes. Uh, tell me more about that startup environment. What's going on? What's happening? You know, or do you see more people from like you know all over the world coming into Salt Lake City? And then of course, Salt Lake City is an amazing place. I mean, people are massively global in terms of their outlook, in terms of how they've been trained. People have been putting contact centers there for years because everyone can speak multiple languages. Definitely right. a very interesting place. So uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it is. Um, the, the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, is still strong here. Um, it's very vibrant. And um, in addition, we have seen more people actually move into Utah um, during this pandemic. And, you know, in my neighborhood alone, it's been fascinating to see how many new folks we have from California. And, um, you know, I, I think I was looking at a New York Times list the other day. They were listing the, the most popular places for people to move to in the pandemic. And uh, Utah was on the list of the top 10. So I think there's an influx of talent, which is great. And there is just this, you know, like you mentioned, it, there's an entrepreneurial spirit and heritage here um, mm -hmm. in Utah. And I would say it's alive and well. There is a hunger um, to, I see it um, in that next generation where they want to build the next big thing. And um, what I think is fantastic in Ray, you know, as you come on your book tour and, and visit us, I think um, you'll be able to, um, just see as well how much support there is from uh, the folks in the tech community for the young ones that are coming up. And and we definitely are, are rooting them on and wanting them to, um, you know, build the next big thing. So awesome. it's great. That's awesome. Oh, it's amazing. We're seeing like, we are seeing a lot of innovation. And I mean, it's just, you know, as, as people do leave the Bay Area and try other places, we are seeing, you know, uh, Salt Lake City, uh, Austin, yeah. uh, we're seeing parts of Florida, even Miami's becoming a tech center. So it's good to wow. see that decentralization and, and dis distribution of tech talent around the country. Uh, RTP, yeah. another great place, Boise, Idaho, and of course, yeah. some parts of Las Vegas. So it's fantastic, right? I think it, it's going to just open it up and um, get us, bring us even more diversity um, and inclusiveness. So come to good. Boston. Come to Boston. We've got great sports teams <laughs> and universities and, and universities. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> No, this is wonderful. We are here with Catherine Wong, Chief Product Officer, EVP of Engineering at Domo, early, early Domo uh, employee. And more importantly, you can follow her at Catherine Wong and more and say hi to Josh James for us. We want to see him Will do some awesome tricks in the, on the ski slopes. It was always awesome. Domo Palooza. So thank you so much. We
We'll Thank see you in the you. green room. Cheers. Wow, Ray. Uh, that was exceptional insights into retail, exceptional insights into leading a company during a transitioning reopening, and exceptional insights in terms of appreciating people, scaling SaaS, and really building companies that scale and add value to their stakeholders. So, wow, that was, uh, that was awesome. That was episode 233. Ray and I have conducted <laughs> over 715 interviews in the last five years. Next week, episode 234, we have a pioneer in, in, the, in terms yeah, of sales. Who is that guy? Uh, who's yeah, Emil Bushri, CEO of Workday, will be our first guest. And he's, um, based on my experience uh, interviewing him in the past, he's an exceptional storyteller and always uh, mountains of sage advice from Anil. Tiffany Bova. Do a lot of, and he doesn't do a lot of interviews, so we're really excited to have him. He's very, 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 very careful about where he shows I, up. I, I was gonna, I was gonna go there, but I let you uh, do the padding <laughs> on our back. <laughs> and we have another rock star. Who do we have? Another rock, rock star. A thinkers fifty uh, top management expert in the world. Tiffany Bova, senior vice president, global growth evangelist at Salesforce. One of my dear colleagues. And we have Michael LeBau, uh, who's a strategic advisor and someone who gives us always uh, incredible things to think about as we shape our future. Cloud so, expert, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So Anil, Tiffany, and Michael are our guests for next week. Please tune in if you can. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Ray, closing remarks. Yeah, super excited. I'm hoping everyone gets back. Show us the and, book. Uh... Come on. <laughs> Give me the book up. All right, here we go. This is the galley copy. We're going to do like a uh, 25 city book tour and uh, you'll know if you're invited. No, it's getting Boston better be sides. on that list. Boston better be on that list. Uh, maybe Burlington, All Wesley, right. Cambridge. <laughs> we'll find some place. But anyways, yeah. So July 13th, check it out. Uh, you can pre-order on Amazon, but more importantly, I look forward to meeting up with everybody. So if it's Friday, as uh, Fala said, it's Disrupt TV. Follow us 11 a.m. Uh, Friday. Thanks a lot. Bye, everyone.